This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. Thank you all for your prayers and support for my wife, Becca. She's recovering from surgery. Most of you know she had a gum grafting procedure done, and uh, she's been on kind of a restricted liquid soft diet for three weeks now. So I just want to want to thank you for, for that and uh, just been an interesting journey. I, I thought for a brief minute about joining her on her restricted diet. It was a very brief minute. I thought, nope, no thank you. Uh, we had a conversation, though, in the process of, of uh, all of this, and she said, now, I've had this procedure done. I've had some other things. It's your turn. The what? No, it's your turn. You need, the next thing that happens, the next surgery, it's you. <laughs> I said, you know, I could, I could die happy having never had major surgery. Thank you very much. She said, well, if you keep avoiding the doctor, you just might, might be the cause of all of that. And I was like, well, that, that could be true. But there's something about doctor's offices. Maybe you feel the same way I do. Something about going to see a doctor that just fills me with a sense of dread. That anticipation leading up to it. I don't look forward to going to see someone who so uh, takes a very personal look at my life and has bad news to share when they do. Uh, the dentist, I feel the same way about hearing about cavities and root canals and all the, all the possibilities of horrible things I would have to endure. It just makes me nervous. I get I just some anxiety and some dread about going to those. Even, even going to see a barber sometimes can fill you with, with dread of where the hair no longer is where it should be and the ones that are there are grayer than they should be. And that's life, isn't it? Just thinking about all these things that we have to encounter and, and dealing with the, the news that we get, the, the difficulty that's coming and all the restrictions and the, 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 the loss of, of the exciting things in life. When a doctor says, you know, low fat, low sugar, low taste, they're like, what, why, why are we taking the joy out of life here? What, it doesn't make much sense to me. But that's the way it is. When I think about procedures, when I think about uh, office visits and blood work, all those things, I just I have a, I have a, a tendency to procrastinate, to, to just push things to, to ignore them, to, to hope they go away if I'm not thinking about them. And I just want them out of my line of sight. If, they, if I know they're coming, I don't want an appointment three weeks from now, a month from now. I want it done and over with. I just want it off the radar, not a present reality, but somewhere else so that I don't have to deal with it. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe, maybe you've experienced those things. Uh, as we begin our new sermon series, uh, and it's called The Wonderful Cross, we're going to study for the next four weeks into Easter, uh, focused on the cross. And we all know that while the cross is wonderful for us as we experience the, the benefit of what Christ did for us, for him, it, it was agony. It was difficulty. It was sacrifice, pain, and suffering. And, and we're going to talk about the implications of the cross. This week, we'll talk about the journey to the cross. Next week, we'll talk about the shadow of the cross, the, the impact the cross had on the lives of those around Jesus. And then we'll talk about the purpose of the cross. And Easter Sunday, we'll talk about the power of the cross as it led Jesus to the resurrection and celebrate in, in that as we study it. But as we talk through the next few weeks about the cross, what, what we're going to do is to, uh, to, to talk about the significance of the cross. Forward in history into our lives, how we benefit from it. But very specifically, also talking about the impact that the cross had on Jesus himself, on the disciples around him, 
the, the impact that it made in their lives and their interactions together and their relationship. And, and also, as we begin today, thinking about how Jesus would have been thinking about the cross as he lived his life, that event coming in the future. And as much as I dread going to the doctor, as much as I have this sense of foreboding, I can't imagine what it would have been like for Jesus living his life, knowing that his purpose in coming to earth was this sacrifice, this huge, very powerful moment. And yeah, there's victory. There's the, the, what he accomplished in the, in the crucifixion and resurrection. But just the idea of this pain and suffering in the future, I can't imagine what he would have went through living his whole life focused on that moment in the future. In one of Max Lucado's books, uh, a book I received a long time ago, a little devotional book called uh, God's Gift for All People. He wrote about the, the life of Christ pointed toward the cross, saying as soon as Jesus, from the moment he was aware of who he was, a cross-shaped shadow loomed in his life. This, this recognition of his purpose that he would accomplish his whole life was pointed to that moment. We know that, that there are so many things in Scripture that, that align with that. As we, we hear uh, in the Old Testament all the prophecy about the Messiah, about uh, the details of the Messiah's life, the process that he would go through, the purpose of, of that Messiah bringing about salvation for all people, of taking the iniquities on him, especially in the book of Isaiah as he talks about the suffering Savior, that all of those things are fulfilled in Jesus as we, as we think about the journey that Jesus took toward the cross, I want to actually begin today in the book of Matthew chapter 1. Uh, as we begin reading through some of this story. And, and, you know, when we get to Easter time, we always talk about uh, the, the passion story, Holy Week, uh, triumphal entry. But I want to back up before all of those things. I want to back up to, to the story of, of the birth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 and talk just for a moment about the, the significance of, of what Mary and Joseph heard as they were preparing for this baby that would be born, especially the, the message that the angel gave to Joseph prior to the birth of, of Jesus, telling him about the purpose that would drive this, this baby. Matthew chapter 1, beginning verse 20, uh, we, we pick up in the story of this message from the angel. After, after he, Joseph, had considered this, his relationship with Mary and what he was going to do, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. You imagine the impact of those words on, on Joseph, knowing that this baby that was going to be born was the Messiah, that all of the prophecies from the Old Testament were about knowing the significance of what the Messiah would do for the people of Israel and for the world. The, 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 the purpose that Joseph would have recognized coming to fulfillment in this baby that would be born. Incredible, significant message that was delivered, him, delivered to him from the angel. And, and not only thinking about the role of, of this baby as the Messiah who, who was to come finally here, but also acknowledging how, how forgiveness would be brought about. And Joseph, as a, as a faithful Israelite, already knew the process of forgiveness that he had to go through when he went to the temple to worship the Lord. He would go before the priest and bring with him a sacrifice to be made for the forgiveness of his sins. An animal would die. The blood was shed as payment for his sin. And 
all of that swirling around in his mind as he and Mary prepared to raise up this young man, Jesus, who would save his people from their sins his entire life, driven by this purpose that pointed Jesus toward the cross. Now, we don't know exactly when Jesus became fully aware, remembering his role. Certainly, we know that, that before he left heaven to enter into creation, he knew what he was doing. He willfully made the decision to express his love to us by living a perfect life and sacrificing that life on the cross. But when he was born as an infant and grew into a toddler and into a child and then into a man, at what point in that process did the cross become a reality, a future reality that was looming closer and closer in his life? We read in the book of Philippians, as Paul gives us a look at the mindset of Jesus, who willingly entered into creation, both God and man existing together as one who humbled himself and laid down his life. It's Philippians chapter 2, beginning verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance... As a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the choice that he made. And it reflects the, the understanding that he had of the sacrifice that would have to be made. As a young boy, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. When his parents traveled to Jerusalem and back home, they lost him somewhere on the journey. They went back to find him, and he was in the temple talking with the teachers of the law. And he said, when, when, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? And we see this recognition of Jesus as the son of God. When he was tempted in the wilderness, Satan challenged him repeatedly saying, if you are the son of God, and laying before him things that only God in the flesh could do, he was aware, he recognized and, and knew not only his identity, but his purpose that was driving him toward the cross. It would be some time later before Jesus began to speak about that future as he began to talk and minister to people. And, and we hear him beginning with, with figurative language, talking generally about the things that were coming when some Pharisees confronted him about being the son of God demanding a sign from him to prove his identity. He said, this wicked generation, adulterous generation demands a sign. And he talked to them about the sign of Jonah as the, the prophet was in the belly of a fish for three days and then was coughed up on dry land. He said, remember that sign, the son of man will be in the heart of the earth for three days. And he talked figuratively about that future that was coming. It wouldn't be until a little bit later that he began to, to use more specific terms to speak very clearly about his death on the cross to his disciples, preparing them for this future that was slowly becoming a present reality, wanting them to understand what it is that he would endure for the sake of all people. And while he knew what was coming, while he understood the purpose of that coming event, the disciples struggled to grasp the significance. They, they struggled to fully understand what it was that Jesus was going to do. We turn to Matthew chapter 16, and we read one of these encounters beginning in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. 
Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now with these direct comments about his death, the, the disciples started to respond to, to, to this message that he was giving them. They started to respond emotionally. Matthew chapter 17 tells us that they grieved over the coming loss of Jesus when they heard that he was going to die. They, they mourned for his death that hadn't even happened yet. They, they were overwhelmed with sorrow, thinking about their, their lives without Jesus, this horrible fate that he would submit to. Here we see Peter's very strong reaction to Jesus saying he would suffer at the hands of these leaders, that he would be crucified and raised to life on the third day. Peter responded, demonstrating his loyalty to Jesus, also demonstrating his, his ignorance of the, the full purpose of what Jesus was going to encounter. He very passionately declared his intentions to Jesus, trying to protect him from those who would take his life. No, this will never happen to you. Notice the response that Jesus had for Peter. While he understood Peter was driven by good intentions, he was creating significant difficulty for Jesus. You have, you have in mind human concerns, not the concerns of God. You're thinking all about our relationship. You're not wanting to let go of me, of the, the, the connection that we have. You're thinking maybe even about the difficulty that we've had with these religious leaders for so long, you don't want them to win. You don't want me to die at their hands. I understand that. But, but imagine the, the, the temptation that Peter presented to Jesus. The temptation that he would face again in the garden. A temptation to focus on personal desire instead of the will of God to focus on the possibility that the cup could be taken from him in some other way. And yet Jesus stood to that temptation. He told Peter, you, you were becoming a stumbling block to me, tempting me in the same way Satan would have. Get behind me, Satan, he said. And Jesus was determined to move deliberately toward the cross. He wouldn't let Peter's passion keep him from the mission that he came to fulfill. And he said this to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, Let's take up their cross and follow me. Sacrifice is what Jesus was talking about. The idea that, that when we are committed to Jesus, we need to put aside the desires that drive us so that we can follow after him and follow his example. We need to let go of the things that, that we've been pursuing so that we can instead pursue him. We need to take hold of his will instead of striving to accomplish our own will. We need to let go of the things that have defined our existence so, so we can discover our purpose in him. If we want to find true life, we have to be willing to lose the life that we're living now. 
all of the things that we're struggling and striving for, all the things that we dedicate our lives to, the desires of our hearts, all these temporary things, if we want to find true meaning in our lives, if we want to discover what we were made for, we have to be willing to set aside those desires so that we can learn the will and way of God for our lives so we can discover the life that he intends for us to live. If you want to truly be a disciple of Jesus, we'd be willing to take up our cross, sacrifice those desires and the pursuits and fully surrender to the Lord. Can you imagine how difficult it would have been for Jesus to continue on toward the cross? Having, having the men who, who have lived their lives with him connected with him, ministering with him, learning from him, declare their desire, their outrage to have Jesus remain with them. There's just this, this expression of, of care from Peter. Can you imagine how difficult it would be for Jesus to continue on that journey toward the cross? He would continually remind his disciples about his determination to follow through his commitment to the, the purpose that God had prepared for him. In Matthew 20, verse 28, he, he talked about that purpose that drove him. He said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Purpose is a very strong driving force, keeping Jesus' life pointed toward the cross. But behind that purpose is another motivating factor, even stronger than purpose, is love. Jesus is driven by love to fulfill his purpose, his love for us. His love for all people to take this counterintuitive approach to serve and to give his life as a ransom, making the payment required to free us from the hold of sin in our lives. That Jesus was willing to lay down his life to bring about our salvation. All of these things he was talking about to the disciples, all the ways in which he talked about his coming death, Jesus was preparing them for what was coming, even though it was a ways off. But as they neared Jerusalem, as they, as they neared this last week of Jesus' life, that, that future event became a present reality. These words suddenly took on more significance for the disciples. As they realized the love that motivated Jesus on his journey to the cross. Not only was he motivated by his love for us, driven to fulfill this purpose. When, when he entered in Jerusalem, he was encouraged by expressions of love from the people there in a way that he hadn't experienced in, in, in the rest of his ministry when he came into Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. He heard the, the crowd rejoicing, praising his name, encouraging him, expressing their love to him as he prepared for the cross. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, we read the unfolding of events as Jesus approached this part of his life. Here's what it says. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he'll send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and colt and placed their cloaks on them and for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now here, Jesus is honored as a king, given royal treatment as he entered into Jerusalem. The people expressed their love for Jesus, lifting his name in praise. Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in highest heaven. And, and, and they demonstrated their love for him. They demonstrated their, their care for him as they laid their cloaks out in the road, as they cut branches and covered this, this, this road leading into Jerusalem, making this, this royal regal procession for Jesus to enter in the city like a, like a king returning to his home, back to the palace after a long journey, after, after a difficult battle, winning out for his people. They celebrated his return honoring him in the way they would a king. An incredible moment of encouragement and expression of love. Not the only expression of love that Jesus experienced in those last days. In Matthew 26, we read another encounter that Jesus had. Beginning of verse 6, it says this, While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This, this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, this act of anointing, was an expression of love. This woman sacrificed a great deal to honor Jesus. This, this perfume would have been something that she treasured and saved in her home, a, a stone jar that was used once, a very slender neck in order to get to the perfume. You, the, the jar would be broken. And instead of using it for a, a, an event, instead of using it for uh, some very significant moment in the life of her family or the death of a loved one, she chose to use this entire bottle to honor Jesus. To, to, to pour this perfume over his head in, in this act of anointing. And, and, and the process draws our attention back to the Old Testament when, when a new king of the people of Israel uh, was prepared for service to the Lord, to, to lead the people. Uh, God would send a prophet to, to the young man who would become king, and the prophet would, would anoint his head with oil, pouring oil over him. And, and this, this act is reminiscent of, of that. Uh, this pouring of perfume over the head of Jesus, it, it, it reminds me of that process of, of preparing Jesus for his service to the Lord. But notice what Jesus said about this act. That what she was doing for him was preparing him for burial. Preparing his body to be laid in the tomb. And as we continue in our, our series, we're going to talk about how Jesus body was prepared when they took his body from the cross and went to lay it in the tomb, how they had spices and perfumes prepared uh, in, in the way that they honored him. The amount of spices and perfume used were, were relative to the wealth of the person. If, if someone had a, a significant role, if they were a, a, a leader of the people, if they were royal, they would have an extravagant amount of spices and perfume packed on their body before they were placed in a tomb. This woman who sacrifice this very expensive bottle of perfume was preparing Jesus as a king for his burial, pouring it out over his body, recognizing him 
in his preparation for his service to God, his service to the people. He was acknowledged as a prophet by the crowds as he entered in Jerusalem, and he was anointed as a king, given the royal treatment as he prepared for his sacrifice, as he prepared for this incredible moment in his life to care for all people, to demonstrate his love for us by laying down his life on the cross, by allowing himself to be tortured and killed so that his blood would flow and bring about grace and the forgiveness of sin. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This was his purpose, driven by his love for us. And as we understand what he's done for us, it's our response that we need to consider to his sacrifice, our response to the gift that he extended to us on the cross. As we think about all that he's done, we then consider what we will do in response. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the love that you expressed to us through Jesus. We thank you for his decision to, to lay down his life on the cross. God, we, we come before you today and, and we are humbled by that gift, aware of the, the cost to Jesus as, as he sacrificed so much for us. God, I pray that you would remind us of the relationship with you that he made possible. I pray that you would remind us of the need that we have to, to follow after him, to take up our cross and lay down our desires so that we can surrender wholeheartedly. God, we thank you for all that you do in our lives that we can't accomplish on our own. We thank you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.